0: Please turn in your Bibles and with me to our, our text this evening, which comes from uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. So we'll be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verses uh, 16 to 22. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 16 to 22. Please then hear with me the reading of God's Word. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, And what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beast for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust. And to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward or the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Thus far, as a reading of God's Word. Well, last week we read about how God is the potentate of time. How it is God who is sovereign over seasons and times. And events, we read about how, how God right now, and right, in the heavens, above the heavens, above the sun, right, governs and directs and guides all things that is happening under the sun. And when we see time in this way, I think we can understand then why Solomon said what he said last week, which was that God makes everything beautiful in its own time. Because even in times that from below seem bad, perhaps because we suffer, or because of loss, or because of pain, even in those times, things are are much easier to be understood when we know that that time and our time is in the hands of a good God who works all things out for His glory and for the good of His people. And so in light of that, although we may suffer discomfort sometimes in our lives, uh, we know that god 's way, whatever it is we 're going through, is the best way right that 's why one day, as we look back at the at time, we will say God was wonderful god was was perfect, and everything that he did, and there is nothing about what God did that I would ever change because god 's plan for his people is perfect in fact, brothers and sisters what what God is doing in time right now is shaping us for something far greater. It's shaping us for something far greater than what we experience here today. And that greater thing that God has uh, created us for is something He has made us curious about, hasn't He? Remember we said last week that, that Solomon said that, that God put eternity in the heart of man. Right? He put eternity in the heart of man. For He made man know that they were created for something greater than what is under the sun. And He did it. He put it into their heart that they might search this thing out. We would go looking for it. Perhaps it would lead us to, to God found only through His Son, Jesus Christ. Yet although this is true, although man has a sense of eternity in his own heart, even though man can look out into the sky and and, and understand and know that that God exists. Man still suppresses the truth of that knowledge, doesn't he? And man so often lives as if God does not exist and is not real. Right? There is a wickedness, isn't there, that really characterizes uh, man's existence? And much of that has to do with the stubbornness of the human heart. What does man say? I will not believe what I cannot see. Uh, I will not believe what I can't perceive with my senses to be true, and so instead of believing in God and trusting in His Word, and placing your trust and your faith in His Son, and and loving God and loving neighbor, and obeying your conscience that bears witness to you and excuses or accuses you, man oftentimes abuses his position, right, for the benefit of his own right glory and honor. Yet, as Solomon points out, brothers and sisters, things will will not always be like this forever, will it? Man will not always be able to, to abuse and pervert his positions here on earth. This is the first point then that I want us to look at as we consider verses 16 and 17. And we'll, we'll call this point the, the wickedness of man and the righteousness of God. The wickedness of man and the righteousness of God. We, we read about this wickedness in verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. Under the sun and on the earth, we recognize there are certain places where justice is to be expected, right? We think of the court of law. That is a place where we expect justice to be had. And yet, what does Solomon say that he finds in the court of law? He sees wickedness going on. Right? Injustice. We also recognize places of righteousness here on earth as well. Right? The household of God. Right? The church. These are places where, where righteousness is to be found. And yet, I'm sure many of us through our own experiences, or perhaps through talking with others, or through just reading news articles online, understand that although this is supposed to be the place where the redeemed gather, those who have been transformed by God's supernatural grace, that although this is the place where we are to be loving God and loving neighbor as ourselves, that oftentimes even within the household of God, we find a lot of wickedness and unrighteousness. And so Solomon, we need to see, is is not dumbfounded. Uh, That wickedness exists, or that injustice, or that unrighteousness exists. He's not shocked by that. But what he is shocked at is where those things are to be found. Right? He's, he's shocked where he finds wickedness in the world. Because he finds it in the place of justice. And he finds it in the place of righteousness. Now, God in the scriptures warns against injustice in the in the law system, doesn't he? In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 6 and 7, we read this You shall not pervert the justice. Do to your poor in his lawsuit. Keep from a false charge. Do not kill the innocent and righteous, and for I will not acquit the wicked. So we see that God prohibits that sort of injustice in the in the place where justice is to be had. And I'm sure we all recognize the, the greatest example of, of courtroom injustice that we have in Scripture. Right, which is the trial of our own Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right they' the the leaders were the ones who sought to entrap him to put him to death, right They were the ones when they arrested him, had people lie about things that he said. Right? Jesus was truly an innocent man who was put to death, and even today do we not have examples of this in our in our own land? You can think of you know, stories maybe we've heard about after, you know, decades in prison, someone being finally exonerated. And what, uh, eventually exonerated them was something that we, you know, the DA had, but they chose not to reveal it. Or the detectives knew and they chose not to reveal it. And it finally comes out. Justice is finally had. Or we see this also in the, in the court system with unjust judges, don't we? How someone commits a, a heinous act and they're on trial and they give them some low bond right, that they can go back out and commit all sorts of other crimes again and, and hurt all these different uh, families and affect all these different lives. And so when justice isn't done, right, especially in the place that you expect justice to be done, right, Solomon recognizes that that is a great wickedness. Right? That is a great wickedness. Now, we know that power, though, can have a a corrupting effect on man, don't we? Power corrupts, or it can corrupt. And oftentimes, people, because they believe that they are are good naturally, uh, say, well, if I was in a position of authority, if I was in a position of power, I would act justly. But nobody knows what's in their heart until they are placed in that situation. And they are approached with that temptation, and they are swept up in that temptation, and all of a sudden, they do the very things they said they would never do. Because being placed and giving those opportunities, all of a sudden what happens? It unearths man's sinful capabilities that is in his heart. Right, we see this with the leaders in the temple, don't we? and we see that that unrighteousness and the wickedness in the hearts of of those who were supposed to be leading the temple which was to be what a place of of righteousness remember that as Jesus entered Jerusalem during the the feast of the passover in John chapter 2 what are we told he did he he used a whip of cords right and drove people out of the temple why because they had turned the house of the Lord into a a house of trade now I'm sure all of those leaders in the temple did not grow up thinking that they were capable of desecrating God's temple in that way. But when provided the opportunity, it unearthed their sinful heart's capabilities. Right? Sadly, there are many ministers who are guilty of this same thing today. Are they not? Right? Where they use the church to build their wealth. They steal from God's people. They lie to God's people. They, they cheat God's people. And all of these people, I'm sure, would would have told you. Those are things they never would have expected themselves to be able to do prior to having that position of authority and power. Now, for many though, living today under the sun, only seeing that which occurs under the sun, this discourages them, doesn't it? Because this is how it always is going to be. Right? Is injustice always going to be found where justice shall be? Is unrighteousness always going to be found where righteousness ought to be. But Solomon says, brothers and sisters, that we are not to be discouraged because though power without fear of God can oppress, he says a day is coming. right? A day is coming when the people of God and all who suffer at the hands of, of wicked judges and wicked rulers and, and under wicked men who are wolves in sheep's clothing, well, they will one day be victor, uh, vindicated by God. Right? They will be vindicated before the world. Solomon wants to comfort those who are oppressed. Those whom God has opened their eyes and given them spiritual understanding to know that God one day is coming and when He does, He shall set all things straight. He tells believers where recourse is to be found for corruption ultimately, and that is in God, the righteous judge of heaven and earth. He discloses to the readers where they ought to turn to. Where they ought to look to. It is not in places on the earth, but rather they are to look above. right Above the sun, into the heavens. To the one who cannot be corrupted. To the one who will not take a bribe or be coerced to do evil. For he cannot do evil. It is against his very nature. This is what we read then in verse 17. I said, in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. So Solomon recognizes there's a time when the the right ruler, sovereign God Almighty, will return to judge all men with utter and perfect justice. And for those who have done injustice, they will receive their just recompense. And for those who have been made righteous, not because of anything they have done, but by Christ Himself, they will receive their reward. Also consider this. Now, perhaps in our own nation, this isn't something that we have to worry too much about. But certainly, in other nations, they do. Uh, Believers being brought before unjust judges and being uh, condemned, being punished, being put to death uh, for their faith and their faithfulness to Christ. Uh, For those people, and for us, if anything like that ever shall come to our own nation and state, uh, we are to remember that Jesus Christ our Lord once stood before an unjust judge. And we are to remember that the unjust judge does not get the final say. But rather God does. And He will come and He will rejudge and He will declare the innocence and guilt of all men with perfect justice. Now one of the problems today though, with the abuse of power and the lack of acknowledgement over our our wickedness is, is that too few of people consider their own condition. Right? Too few of people stop to, to think about themselves. And so what does God do? Well, we're told by Solomon that He tests them. Right? He tests them so that they might see their own vileness. Right? Look at what Solomon goes on to say in verse 18. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. Now, what is said here ought to bring us back to the book of Genesis again. And we've seen, haven't we, over the course of our study in the book of Ecclesiastes, that Solomon continues to bring us back to Genesis time and time again. He, he wants our attention to be drawn there. Why? To remind us that, that life under the sun is as it is because of what happened back in the book of Genesis. Right? Because of the fall, because of man's disobedience in the garden, so that all things have now fallen under the curse. Now, Solomon says God tests men that they might see themselves as brute beasts. Now, I want us to understand this is not a denial that we are God's image bearers, right? that we are made in the image of God. But look at what he's saying, starting at verse 19. For what happens to the children of man? And what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beast for all's vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust. And to dust they shall return. Here's our second and our final point, which we'll call the mortality of man. The mortality of man. Now, here's Solomon's point. It's look at everything that God has made man capable of doing. It far exceeds the beast, does it not? Right? It is man who is the pinnacle of God's creation. It is man who is created after the image of God. It is man who walked and talked with him in the garden. It is to man that the scriptures were given. It is to man, even that the human nature, right? That that Christ came and assumed to the divine nature in order that He might save man. And even though we have all those advantages, we are no better off than the beasts. In the sense that what we die, just like the beasts, and our bodies go right into the ground, just like the beasts. And so, in this sense, we are beasts. Right In this sense, we are beasts. Because man and beast are both finite creatures. When we die, our flesh both goes into the ground and is buried and returns to the dust. But what does this remind us of? The curse, doesn't it? It draws our minds back to Genesis 3.19. The revelation that God gave to Adam. Where He says this, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for... Out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And nothing has changed over time, has it? Nothing has changed over time. Every generation after Adam, no matter how smart we think we get, no matter how much use of technology and science and medicine we advance in and think that we have progressed in, the same thing happens whether you are wise or foolish, rich or poor, a hard worker or a lazy. You die. You die. And your, and your body returns to the dust. That's why Solomon can say, as he's been saying throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, that this too is vanity. Because our lives are short, lived on in this earth, and then we die and we go into the ground alongside beasts. Now what to make of verse 21 though? He says this, who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. Now, I want us to see that Solomon obviously is not is not questioning the afterlife. He just he just said a few verses ago that, that God eventually is going to come and, and judge all things again, isn't he? So Solomon is not denying the afterlife. And so remember what Solomon is talking about here. He's talking about life lived under the sun. right? Life lived under the sun. And so human, as human beings, if a believer dies and an unbeliever dies, can you tell where their soul goes? You don't see the, the soul of the believer rise and the spirit of the unbeliever descend, do you? So this is what he's talking about. Life lived under the sun. What it is we can see. You cannot see one ascend to the heavens and one descend to the earth. And because of this, Because so many people walk by sight and not by faith. They believe then that man has no real preeminence over the beast. And for this reason, and out of the abundance of the wickedness of the heart of man then, what do they say? Well, I'll just live like a beast then, don't they? And so they live with these unbridled passions. They let them loose. And they live out of control. Right? With no self-control at all. They allow those sinful lusts to burn like an animal. Unable to control themselves. And in addition to this point of view of life and death, they also find it quite easy to do what? To, to act beastly towards others, don't they? As, act beastly towards their, their fellow man. Only concerned with themselves. Believing what? Only the strong survive. Right? It's a doggy it's a dog world out there. But look at what Solomon's response is. It's not as what some of us might think. Look at verse 22. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work. For that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? So it's interesting, isn't it? That that after Solomon says all these things, he doesn't then say, well, we should just sulk. right? That Now we should just pout about it. But rather, he says, it should cause us to rejoice in the work that God has given to us in this life. Whatever you have, brothers and sisters, in this life is your allotment by God to enjoy. And so we are to enjoy it with thanksgiving and cheerfulness and contentment, knowing that one day we shall die and be taken out of the world and never enjoy those things again. But when you are taken out of the world, the question is, where shall your soul go? When you are taken out of this world, will your soul ascend to the heavenlies? Or will it descend to the bottomless pit awaiting the final judgment? Because although in one way we are like finite, brute beasts, in many other ways we are not. It is we who will stand before Almighty God on the judgment day. It is we who have to give an account for everything that we have ever done. And so we might not be able to see our souls ascend or see souls descend, but we certainly know that they will do that. Or we know that because Scripture reveals that to us. And through sin, every single one of us was on a collision course. Right? Our souls were on the collision course to, to eternal hellfire. As we all sinned and as we all fell short of the glory of God, but Jesus came into the world to do what? To be a hope for sinners. He came to the world to be a hope for sinners. And if Jesus is your hope, brothers and sisters, then let us live in light of that hope. Let us live then and see living is for Christ and dying is for gain. Let us see now that our lives are to be lived by walking in faith and by trusting in God and His promises to His people. But for those of you here who have yet to lay hold to Christ by faith, that final question that Solomon asks at the, at the end of verse 22, who can bring him to see what will be after him? The answer is God. The answer is God. Right? The One who all alone are answerable to. And so, instead of living like a beast, right, look to God who created you after His image. Right, respond to the Gospel with faith and Repentance. And then you too can be assured with the rest of God's people that no matter what our allotment might be in this world, and no matter what might happen to us in this world, that we can rest assured in the end, when all is said and done, that the God of heaven and earth will indeed do what is right. And in that, brothers and sisters, we may rejoice. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this uh, wisdom literature, which is able to make uh, your people wise. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would impress these truths upon our hearts and our minds. Uh, that you would cause us to see the uh, the need for uh, Christ and to trust in Him as the hope for sinners, as as He alone provides us the means of escape and. Uh, he alone provides for us what we need for our soul to, to ascend one day in which we die. We pray, Lord, likewise then, in light of the fact that as we die, our, our bodies will go into the ground like the like the beast of the earth. We ask, Lord, that You would cause us to simply work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That You would uh, enable us to uh, do all of the work that God has given us to do uh, with cheerfulness and contentment. Realizing that we are, are here for a short time. right? That our lives are, are like a vapor, like a mist. We're, we're here one day and gone the next. And so Lord, empower us, strengthen us. Uh, may the Holy Spirit encourage us uh, to live in, in light of that reality to the praise and glory of Your name. And it's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen.